Welcome to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Listen and grow as Dell questions the status quo, encourages you to think differently, and empowers you to make a better life. Get ready as Dell challenges core beliefs, seeks the truth, and reveals the roadmap to the lifestyle you really want. And now your host, multi-millionaire, national award-winning investor, CEO and founder of Lifestyles Unlimited, Del Wamsley. Welcome to the Del Wamsley Radio Show, where the hype ends and the help begins. I'm your host, Del Wamsley, and as always, we're working on your financial freedom. With me here today on Tell Del Tuesday is one of our members for quite some time now, from 2004, and uh, he's done quite a bit. He started out... Uh, when he first came being a passive investor and now he's all the way through being a lead investor and winning a national award apartment award from the national apartment association so he's been through it all and uh we're happy to have him here today to share his story mr steve tennyson out of houston texas steve welcome to the show hey thank you Del. good morning well steve let's start at the beginning everybody here listening to you on the radio is beginners and uh <laughs> your story's a long one but we don't want to forget the fact that, you know, yourself and everybody else started somewhere. So let's talk about where you were at in your life when you finally decided to look into something like this and how you found us. Yeah. Um, man, a long time ago, I was a uh, an engineer, electrical and computer engineer, had a degree from UT Austin uh, and was working for like 13 years as, a, as an engineer, you know, in a cubicle and working on my little projects and stuff. But I, I worked for like seven different companies. Cause I worked in high tech and it was kind of volatile. And one of my you know, companies that I worked for went bust like overnight. And, uh, at the time my, my, my wife at the time just had a baby. She was on unpaid maternity leave. We had just bought a house. She had no income. I had no income. <laughs> I was like, there's gotta be a better way to make a living. And, uh, and when I heard your guys message on the radio, uh, about free yourself from corporate America by establishing passive streams of income through real estate investing, I was all over it. <laughs> so, I, you know, and I knew nothing, right? I was just, uh, I, did, I didn't know accounting. I didn't know business. I barely knew investing. I dabbled in like, mutual funds. But uh, I came to a case study and heard the message and the stories of people sharing their successes and then went to the, the two-day seminar and, and signed up that day. It was a no-brainer. When you went through the two-day, Steve, um, I always ask people this, what was the aha moment that really clicked to you? I mean, that said, this is what I need to do and what I didn't really understand before I came here. <laughs> uh, I mean, because I knew nothing about business and my father was, he was a, a sailor in the Navy. He was in the Navy for 20 years. That was his career. I knew nothing about business, nothing, but I was an engineer. I understood the numbers. And when you got up on the whiteboard and started, you know, like sketching out the basic uh, economies of how single family investing works and how multifamily investing works, the expenses, the income, the returns, it all just made sense. And, and when you were talking about the kind of money that I could make, I'm like, well, I'll sign up for that. <laughs> and, and, you know, and you, of course, promised a good program of education and mentoring, which I, I've been through college. So I, I'm all about, you know, learning stuff in school. So I went to Dell School, <laughs> and and that's what uh, that, were, that that's what rang the bell for me. Everything made sense. Out of curiosity, um, your past wife um, was she with you or against you on this project? She was. Uh, she accommodated it. 
uh, you know, because all the classes were live. You taught all the classes, and nothing was recorded. I had to go there after work from like six to nine and listen to you talk about accounting, <laughs> which I had to take that class like three times because I kept going to sleep. But because uh, you know, it's after work, I'm tired, and and so she lost me a lot uh, from from the family. But you know, she didn't say no, so that was that was the support that I got from her. But she she wasn't a big believer in lifestyles. Uh, didn't go to the classes. And uh, really had little interest in the business. When you got in, you jumped right in with one of the big wigs at the time, uh, one of the Chargers, and yeah. uh, got started up. What made you, or what attracted you to seeking out one of the big wigs right up front? Um, man, I, how did I meet Emery? I think I, I saw him in classes, uh, I saw him on a road trip. And, and I kind of knew some, somewhat about his background story, a CPA, you know, working for Arthur Anderson, uh, a guy with a lot of skills. And he was coming into our group, which were really at the time we were a pretty humble crowd, um, you know, people who knew nothing like myself. <laughs> and we were and we, we had so much to learn from Emory. And he was so free in sharing what he knew. Uh, and, and that's what excited me about Emory. Also, I, I toured uh, his first property that he bought, and I got to see how he treated his customers and how he worked with his employees, and that was a good thing to see. You know, you don't want to go into a business where, you know, people are trying to cheat their customers, give them poor quality, or, or, or mistreating their employees. Emory was, a, you know, a top-notch guy, and I really appreciate that, appreciate that about him. So when you jumped in... Uh, on, let's see, your first deal, I guess you actually went in with three deals, or no, two deals with him, and then you got in with uh, another big wig uh, that did quite a bit. So you've yeah. always believed, I guess, you know, I always ask people, do you believe in the in the horse or the jockey? I guess you've always chosen the jockey, huh? Absolutely. Um, and when I figured this out, I would tell it to other people, you know, a, a lot of people, they, when they get into real estate investing, they're looking at the deal, the deal, the deal, the numbers, right? Me, I'm looking at the guy uh, because I'm not giving my money to a deal. I'm giving it to a guy who's going to run that deal. And a good uh, lead will save a bad deal. But a bad deal will mess up even the best, or a bad lead will best mess up even the, uh, the best deal. So I want to put my money in the hands of the guy who, you know, is going to protect my investment. A plus, you know, a good guy is not going to pick a bad investment in, on, on, in general. All right. So you got in, and uh, let's talk about how did you decide to take your limited capital? I think uh, it says here that when you started, you had $250,000 um, worth of net worth. And uh, yeah. how did you decide to split that up? Did you have a plan on diversification between different deals, diversification between different <laughs> leads? diversification between different locations and cities and how did you plan your approach there i was so much less sophisticated than that um and and that two hundred and fifty thousand of net worth you know most of that was illiquid it was tied up in the house and the cars and uh, now some of it was in iras which it turns out those can be invested uh so i was able to scrape together money from from iras and what money we had in the savings account and I put it all into Emory's uh, deal. That was the second deal at the time, so we already had established a track record. And uh, uh, it was actually an inheritance that my wife had gotten. 
she said, you know, this, this will cut it into thirds, one third for me, one third for you and one third for our daughter at the time. And I took everything I had and put it into the first deal that Ira uh, did. And so I was more of a, I, I would pick my, my jockey, as you say, but after that I was all in. Absolutely. Now, um, somewhere along the line in these deals, since you're showing here that you went from $250,000 net worth, uh, your net worth is now $3 million. So let's talk <laughs> about um, where did these deals start becoming good and what did you learn about the difference between that? You said leverage was one thing you stayed away from then, that 90%. I mean, you can't even do that stuff anymore, but yeah. Yeah. So um, where did they start turning good for you? Uh, it was that first deal with Ira. Uh, a little property called Stafford Oaks that it was his first deal. But he, again, this was a guy who had uh, experience and knowledge business. Uh, he also used to run an auto salvage business. He had a background in accounting and, uh, and he came into lifestyles and just, you know, learned what he needed to learn and got it done. And he, he was getting help from Emory, which was great. Uh, and, and that deal was phenomenal. <laughs> I was so glad I put so much money into that deal uh, we refinanced that deal not once, not twice. Well, I think twice and then sold it. So uh, we were able to pull out all of the excess value. Every time the value went up, we would refinance, pull the money out, and go buy another deal. And, and that's what happened at Stafford Oaks, where we bought this beat-up old property that nobody had loved in years, and, and the residents were starting to move out because nobody loves it when they get wet when it rains inside their home. And we fixed it up, uh, and we were able to improve the property, justify the rents that they were getting already, and then increase the rents uh, to match what the market was actually capable of bearing. And so within 18 months, uh, Ira was able to refinance that deal, and he gave everybody all of their money back, and we still owned it. So we had our money back, and we were still earning a uh, like a, a quarterly cash-from-cash return you know, distributions on the deal, but now we had our money back so we could go invest in another deal. It was like magic. Yeah, that's really the that's the model. And yeah. uh, that's really what's turned most of us very wealthy in this situation. So you had, I'm looking here, four really good deals. Mm-hmm. And um, all of a sudden, boom, life throws you a curveball. And uh, you end up getting divorced, and it looks like, uh, from what I see here, she took you did one of those. I'll give you half, you get half. Let's go our separate ways, things, huh? Yeah, yeah. She uh, she still had her job, which was you know good for her, right? Uh, but all all my income came from these from these real estate investments. Uh, I didn't have a job. My job was investing the family's money. Uh, so when she got half the investments, you know, she got her income plus you know, half of the investment income, and I got what was left, which was not great. Uh, but at that point, I had bought my first deal as a lead with, with my little pool of investors. And that's what I, that's what I lived on. Uh, and it wasn't great, but I was, I was surviving. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I met a new woman who I love dearly, uh, my wife, Kay. And, and she saw what I was doing, and she was excited. Uh, she's been going to work with me. Uh, every day working on that apartment business. And then the second one that we bought, which really like put me back on an even keel, I, I just bought a, another deal, uh, Bayou Palms, last year. And between the two of those, I'm doing okay. <laughs> well, that's 
that's an interesting thing because if you take whatever your net worth was, the 250000 you build it up and then cut it in half. Yeah. <laughs> and then you still, to this point, are worth $3 million. Uh, anybody yeah, it, has? It went up to four point five. That was that was my peak, and then the divorce knocked me down to you know two two and a half, and now it's built back up to three. I didn't yeah, that... do anything different, like in spite of, you know because of the divorce. All I needed to do was keep doing what I was doing, and uh, even my CPA when I called him and I said, "Dude, I'm I'm in the middle of a divorce. What's going to happen?" And he said, "Knowing what you know, you will be okay." And he was right. Absolutely, absolutely. So. Um... As we look at the situation here, we want to come back and from the break, and we want to talk about what made you decide to become a lead and do that first deal, but mm-hmm. what made you decide to do that? That's what I want to come back and talk about, because that's really, um, that's quite a bit of a psychological change for you from yeah. when you came in, and so I'd really like to hear that story. Uh, we're also going to want to hear about your winning this award and what that all meant. That's a good story. We'll get to that one also. So when people come back, we're going to hear, you know, why would someone who's got an engineering job, who's just gone through a divorce, decide that, hey, I'm going to get in this business full full throttle ahead, take all the risk of getting rid of my job, don't have a job, wife takes the only family job, and move forward as a real estate investor full time. And uh, we'll go into that. And when we come back, uh, Steve, We'll cover that, and then that's going to lead us naturally into the progression of uh, how you won the award because that's a, a good story. That's a tough time story that turns out, you know, where you take uh, lemons and turn them into lemonade. So uh, that seems to be uh, what we're here to talk about today, lemons into lemonade. That seems to be your life. So we'll be right back with Steve Dennison the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. to creating the lifestyle you really want. Keep listening. The Dell Wamsley Radio Show returns in moments. I was at a seminar one time and a guy was sitting up there and he was saying, what you really need is you need the young, aggressive entrepreneur people to go out there and take that money and invest it with them. I walked up to the front of the stage and I said, hey, I'm that guy you're talking about that should be mentoring these people on how to do this. The guy goes, sir, we don't allow solicitation. And I said, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm here to tell you I'm exactly the guy you were telling them to look for. And I'm willing to help them for nothing. And the guy goes, if you don't stop soliciting, I'm going to have to have security come and get you. And I said, I can see you're a scam. I'll just leave. Everything I said had gone through the intercom. So I walked out of the seminar room and 200 people followed me. And that's how Lifestyles are started. Are you ready to get up and follow Dell? Join us today at lifestylesunlimitedworkshop.com. 
You're hearing the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Want more life-changing knowledge? Access our podcast and listen on demand at lifestylesunlimited.com under the radio tab. Now your host, Dell Wamsley. Welcome back to Dell Wamsley Radio Show. With me here today on Tell Dell Tuesday is Steve Tennyson out of Houston, Texas. And Steve, as we come back from break, uh, people are going to want to hear. You were so into passive investing. You were 100% in, both feet. And you really, when I first met you, you really weren't interested at all in being a lead investor. Uh, what changed? What happened that changed Steve Tennyson to want to be a lead investor? Well, I think part of it is, you know, once you've achieved a goal, you look for new goals to achieve. And uh, at that time, my, my passive income was 100 grand a year of passive income. I didn't have to work for that money. It just showed up in my bank or in the mailbox or, or in the check in my hand because I and I worked together and he would write me the check and hand it to me. Um, and so really, I was done, right? That was plenty of money for me and my family. You know, what do I do next? And I saw how much uh, work that Emory and Ira and the other leads at Lifestyles put into their deals to the benefit of their investors. And, you know, Emory and Ira were doing that for me. You know, they did all that work for me. And I thought, I need to give back. It's my turn. I know too much. <laughs> Having, you know, I learned everything at Lifestyles, right? I went to all your classes. And then I, I, I worked with Ira for 10 years. I, I became his director of operations in his management company, you know, managing his thousand unit portfolio. And uh, it just, I knew too much to not use that knowledge, that experience, uh, the education. And so I eventually struck out on my own to go buy my own deal with my own investors so I could give back to the community that had given so much to me. Well, when you jumped in, you jumped in with a difficult one. I actually owned four properties <laughs> around the, the one you purchased. Uh, I knew of it. I actually looked at buying it myself, and I thought that it was just a little bit more of a um, – of a rehab that I really wanted to do and or even knew at the time. Now, mine, I bought mine before you, so the market had changed a little bit and gotten a little stronger, so you had a little bit more headwind or tailwinds yeah. to push you through the deal than what I did when I looked at it. But you did it, and uh, you jumped in with both feet and got on it. What What did you like about the property? Well, I, I knew the neighborhood. Uh, my daughter was going to elementary school, and this property is just north of that neighborhood. And so driving my daughter back and forth to school, you know, taking her to school, picking her up, which I could do because I was retired. <laughs> um, I saw over the couple of years, I saw what was happening in that neighborhood, the new businesses that were going in, the, the old houses being torn down, the new houses being put up. And so even though Mirabella, when I first stepped foot on that property with the broker, man, it looked bad. It, it smelled bad. <laughs> it's, even it sounded bad. There was like a, a piece of loose tin on the carport that every time the wind would lift it up, and it sounded like a gunshot. Uh, but I held my nose, and I closed my eyes, and I signed uh, a, a, an agreement to purchase the place, not based on what I saw, but what I knew it could be. Because because I knew how to I knew how to do these deals because I had worked so much with Emory and Ira I knew how they could be transformed, and I could just I just knew what direction this neighborhood was going in. So I took a risk and went for it. Well, one of the things you had going for you is that between the four that I owned within two blocks of there and the other one right up the street that we one of our members owned, uh, and a couple others a little south of there, uh, yeah. we owned nigh on eight properties within two, three miles of where you're at, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. did that give you some insight as to what the upside potential was? 
Yes. Uh, you know, of course, I was able to get, you know, good market comps based on, on those other properties uh, and just good information from other owners who had deals in the neighborhood. And, and hearing you talk about when you own those deals on Pinemont and then looking at Pinemont, which is now totally transformed. And I'm like, this is a, this is a neighborhood going in the right direction. And I want to, I want to ride that. <laughs> so I got information from lifestyles. I got information from you, from, from the other leads. Uh, all, all of that helped me make my decision. It gave me faith in, in what I was trying to do. So let's talk about uh, the Mirabel experience just for a second before we move on. And that is, you know, it's funny how this stuff ebbs and flows, ebbs and flows, ebbs and flows. And you've got all these stories because you've been around for so long, 2004. But uh, what was it that we ran into that created a massive problem for Mirabella? Was it the uh, <laughs> was it the COVID thing? Is that what it was? Is that the, the, it the was, problem that came up? You know, you know how there's leasing, leasing season, right? In the summer when everybody wants to move. And that's when properties, if they're running well, they fill up. They feel that they're vacants during leasing season. And every leasing season, I own Mirabella. Something terrible happened. <laughs> uh, starting with when I bought it, it turned out to be 72% occupied, which was not what it was supposed to be. Uh, but that's, that's actually not terrible, right? You fix your units and you move people in. Uh, and so that first summer, that's what we did. But then the next summer, the uh, city of Houston and Centerpoint came and tore up the street right in front of my property. And so, you know, prospects, people wanting to rent my apartments, they couldn't even get to my business. There's a there's a sign out at the end of the street that said road closed and you had to move it aside to get down the street. Uh, so that wasn't great for the, for my next leasing season. And then the next uh, summer after that, uh, nobody knows why, but all the field mice moved in from Mirabella Apartments. I hate saying this on the radio. Um, and, and one of my residents who had lived there for like 12 years, he said, I've never seen anything like this before, but you know, it was a, it was a problem we could solve. We hired professional pest control. Uh, we fixed some breaches in the exterior. Uh, the guys would go into the interiors and seal holes and we got the problem under control, but it took all summer long. And at that point, my manager quit cause she was tired of one summer after another, not being able to fill this place up. And I, and I got a new manager who was fantastic. And she started to turn the place around. And just when she started to make progress, COVID hit. And, uh, and the kids couldn't go to school. And so even if a parent had a job that wasn't affected by COVID, they, they had to stay home to take care of their kid. And, uh, and my, my residents are not fancy people. They're not wealthy, uh, sophisticated lawyers and doctors. They live hand check, uh, paycheck to paycheck hand to mouth. And when they stopped getting their money, they couldn't pay their rent and they couldn't buy food. Uh, that was an unforeseen consequence of lockdown was that a lot of people were not eating. So it was, it was one summer after the next, it was three, three and a half years before that property finally turned a profit. And the only reason why it eventually became the success that it is today is because I never gave up. I had multiple opportunities to give up, <laughs> and maybe I should have. I don't know. But, no, I never gave up, and my investors, they always supported me. Uh, I was very open and forthcoming with them about what, what the challenges were, and they understood because they had the same education from lifestyles that I had, and, uh, and they backed me up. So we eventually figured out our own way to, to deal with COVID, which was, you know, while, while other people were making the news, like nationally, kicking their residents out because they lost their jobs. 
we did everything we could to keep people in their apartments. Um, we we waived late fees. Uh, we put people on payment plans. We uh, we we helped them sign up for unemployment. We helped them sign up for food stamps. Uh, we if their stimulus checks got lost, we helped them find their stimulus checks. And uh, and eventually, I think the government took nine months to squabble squabbling over how to how to provide rental assistance to everybody who was struggling, like my residents. And and so finally, we got the rental assistance programs with Baker Ripley and the Texas Rent Relief Program, and we signed up everybody who had a balance because we had residents that owed thousands of dollars. Um, and we just signed them up for the programs and then brought them the paperwork and they, they signed off on it and they got their rent paid finally. But we work with people for that, for that long. Uh, if they were good residents and, and they were, you know, otherwise in, in uh, what do you call it, compliant with the lease, we tried to keep them in their homes. Oh, and the, the, the hunger issue, which was the big surprise of COVID, we didn't think it was going to lead to a, a, a hunger crisis. Um, the local church started doing a food drive program where people would just drive through in their cars and get food put in their trunk so that they could eat. And we volunteered for that program because it was like, you know, walking distance away from us. And because we, we helped them, they helped us by giving us their leftover food, which we then gave to our, our residents. Uh, you moved on from there, though, because we don't have a lot of time. Uh, and I want to get into this, uh, the Bio Palms. And uh, has this been a good one for you? <laughs> uh, Bayou Palms is, is my latest acquisition, uh, purchased last year in July. So it's almost one year now. This was a property that was owned by a, a Lifestyles member. So it had been run relatively well. So we uh, we have like a three year plan to get that deal up and running like uh, like we think it should, and then we'll we'll figure out what to do from there, whether we sell or refinance. What would you tell people about where you're at in life now? I mean, you asked me before why I left engineering and joined lifestyles. I in engineering, I enjoyed what I did for a living. I was good at it, but I had no passion. And when I got into real estate, I still didn't. It wasn't until the crisis of COVID that I really uh, realized my passion, which is helping people. I enjoy helping people. And during COVID, I rescued that community at Mirabella. And at Bayou Palms, that was a community that was struggling that now is a happy, thriving community. And, and I'm sure you get this, too, when you help a member and they realize their dreams. Doesn't that feel good to you? I mean, that's part of why you do this, right? Uh, and that was what I was able to do for my wife. Uh, real estate investing was not her passion. She always wanted her own business. Uh, she wanted to be a restaurant, and she wanted it to be in America. She's from Thailand, where uh, opportunities are not as great as they are here. But I am thrilled to be able to help her achieve her dream. That's really what it's all about, isn't it? Yeah. So what's the future look like for Mr. Steve Tennyson? Ah, I am. uh, Right now, I am dug in. (laughs) I'm fighting the good fight. I got a new property. It's only a year old, but it still has challenges. Uh, I'm at the tail end of a $2 million renovation. Uh, The restaurant, everybody tells us it takes a year, and it's only been six months. So we're still plowing all of our energy and efforts into building that business up. And so right now, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I wake up, I work, uh, like Ira used to say, I'm not the, I'm not, I may not be the smartest guy in the room, but I go to work every day. I work real hard and I always try to do the right thing. And that's kind of the mode I'm in right now. I am not looking for a new goal. I am realizing the goals that I have on my plate right now. Now, ultimately, eventually, long term, I would like to buy another apartment complex because that's what I know how to do and do well. Now, how old's your daughter at this point? 
she is 21. Can you believe it? <laughs> Any interest there? And in what, what kind of legacy do you have working there? You know, one always hopes that your kids will take on the family business, uh, and she has no interest in it. But because of lifestyles, uh, I got to raise my daughter. I wasn't the dad who only saw her in the evenings. Uh, I got to take her to school, pick her up from school. Uh, we would go to the gym together. And she got to see how I worked, and she got to see my passion, and she applied that to her own interests so that now she's pursuing her dreams with the same sort of passion and dedication that, that I apply to my own work. And I'm so proud of her for that. Well, that's it, man. That's, that's the ultimate. When you, can, when you can say you've lived your life the way you want to live it and uh, you've, you've made a decision in life, Steve, to be a giver and you give and give and give and give and give. And, you know, I know you'll never be unhappy when you're spending your life helping other people obtain their goals. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you for everything you do. Congratulations on winning the award. And remember this, folks. It's not the money. It's the lifestyle. Have a wonderful day. Listening to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Want more of Dell's unconventional wisdom? Go to lifestylesunlimited.com and click the radio tab. Listen to past shows, hear podcasts on demand, and find out how you can change your life today. The Dell Wamsley Radio Show is part of the Lifestyles Unlimited Radio Network. The information and opinions you hear on the Del Wamsley Radio Show are those of the host, Del Wamsley, his guests, and his callers, and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of this station, its affiliates, its management, or advertisers. The Del Wamsley Show is for entertainment purposes only. Please consult a professional regarding your personal investment needs. Nothing presented on the Del Wamsley Show constitutes an endorsement, recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any product or security.